pandemic got us into a reflective space and made us look inward to see what we can do for the world at large. As a self-expression coach, I became a catalyst for women and started Vani, a one-on-one -on -one coaching program for women on finding their voice, to speak up, to be visible. As a storyteller, I spotted there were many ordinary people amongst us leading extraordinary lives, making a difference to the world, and they needed to be heard. Thus was born You and I with Rashmi Shetty, where amazing personal journeys with their uniqueness and individuality are showcased. A reaffirmation of the fact, open your eyes wider, the world is far more beautiful when we acknowledge the presence of both you and I. On the International Day of Persons with Disabilities, we have with us Kavita Krishnamurti, the founder and managing trustee of Kilikili, a network of parents of children with disabilities supported by professionals and volunteers. A social development professional by training, her experience of working for more than two decades on child rights and development issues coupled with her experience as a mother to a child with autism, led her to the question, why are children with a disability not seen in public spaces? Kilikili emerged out of this inquiry with a mission to create inclusive public play spaces where all children, irrespective of their abilities, could play together. A certified arts-based therapist, Kavita has, in recent years, been involved in exploring the relationship that children with autism have with arts through initiatives she co-evolved that facilitate children's natural artistic expression. She currently co-directs the Cambridge Academy in Chennai, a college-like space for young adults with autism that seek to impart life skills that would enable them to lead a life of dignity in the community, doing what has meaning for them. Hey Kavita, such a pleasure catching up once again after so many years. But you've always been someone very, very special to me, who was my biggest dot into the world of disability and finding ability in disability the one who introduced me on uh, telling me that everyone's unique it's all about us changing our vision and uh, therefore i thought no better person than you on december 3rd for the wonderful work that you do such a pleasure and honor having you on you and i with rashmi shetty kavita Thank you so much, Rashmi. I know it's been such a long time and it's really nice to reconnect with you. And thank you for all the kind words that you're saying. So when it comes uh, to your world, Kavita, you are always this bright spark, smiling, happy. If you can take us back into your childhood to tell us what it was like, however far you want to go. So how far do you want to take us? So um, I grew up actually all over the country because uh, my father was in the railways and we would kind of get transferred every, you know, three, four years, we would go to a new city 
which was um, both exciting because it was you know uh, there was a, there was change and there was you know meeting new people get making new friends but at the same time it was also a bit uh, unsettling because you know you'll kind of just about get adjusted to a new place and you know make new friends and all that and then it'll be time to move again so it was a bit of both we grew up with um, a lot of what would i say privilege in terms of you know the kind of houses we lived in the amount of people we had around us uh, fairly secure uh, you know loving uh, environment and yeah i think on the whole i would say it was a happy childhood uh, where we were we were like you know uh, because of the in like when we were younger my father would be posted in some of these not very not big cities so to be smaller towns and that, that i think is a great place for children to grow up in because uh, also it was those years you know the 70s and 80s when anyway you didn't have too much of you didn't even have tv so it was growing up with uh, you know just uh, in with nature just you know being outside playing a lot cycling i mean i remember doing all these for hours like in a place called guzawal which we were when we, i must have been around 10 or so 9 10 years old all we would do in the evening was get down to our cycles and keep cycling around the colony because also i think a safer time so you know parents would kind of just allow us we would just you know have our tea in the evening and be out for 2 3 hours and it was all fine so i think uh, i mean it was a little different when i look at kids nowadays and you know how regulated their life is how uh, how many concerns and genuine concerns of uh, you know safety how parents probably don't allow them to do as much because of the safety concerns you know so compared to that i think my childhood was pretty idyllic i think it was it was wonderful we um, traveled a lot met new people um, learned new things it was also like learning that you know new languages because you know the third language of any uh, state is uh, the state language so we kind of actually learned uh, many languages because of that so yeah all in all i think it was a lovely childhood and it reflects uh, even now <laughs> so how from that happy childhood kavita what did you uh, meander into that you are now in the space completely on making the world that much more beautiful especially play areas through kilikili and so many other things that you're doing so uh, what was your college what influences especially and what shaped your thought processes to become this influencer in society well i don't know whether i'm that but anyway um i think um, you know a uh, turning point in my life really was uh, um this opportunity when i was in my second year college when i was doing my second year ba uh, so i would have been around uh, 19 years or so then uh, where we had an option of uh, in one of our courses uh, called social work we had an option of uh, volunteering to be a part with to work with an organization with an ngo and um, for some reason which i mean i still don't really know why because it was not like was very well thought out or something but for some reason i kind of opted for that mm-hmm. and um, you know it's like like you said i think the word you used is uh, very interesting meandered so it's like it's you know you do find a lot of kids now give so much thought and they are researching what they want to do and all mm-hmm. that i don't think it was anything like that it was just that this opportunity was there and i kind of i don't even know why but i just said okay let me try this Hmm. and so i started volunteering with an ngo called uva uh, this was in mumbai 
and um, which was then working with uh, children who lived on uh, pavements. Hmm. So if you know Mumbai, you know that, uh, uh, you know, not too many uh, cities have uh, people living in such la large numbers on the pavements or on the footpaths. I mean, you do have, you know, uh, uh, the urban poor living in fairly insecure housing, but pavement dwelling is um, probably a characteristic of Mumbai and a couple of other cities in India. So this would be just on the footpath, you would have communities where they would have the most insecure housing that I have ever seen. So their housing would only be like some poles uh, with a tarpaulin or a plastic sheet, you know, uh, very often, I mean, in later times, once these flex banners started to come up, it would just be that their walls and the roof would just be those flex banners. So, um, so it was it was a community which was fairly close to where I was studying. I was studying in St. Xavier's College in Bombay. And this was a community very close by called uh, Cross Maidan. So if, uh, you know, uh, people from Mumbai would know that uh, Cross Maidan is where many of our budding cricketers are cutting their teeth. So uh, we were, Yuva uh, was working with, with the group there on housing. Um, now, again, when I said insecure, what it meant was uh, the, because they were called illegal, um, the municipal, municipal corporation could come anytime and uh, take away their belongings, take away, you know, destroy their houses and so on. So it was, it was actually quite, quite terrible. So we were primarily working on housing, but also working with the children. And uh, we were uh, trying to figure out what kind of education would be possible for children who live in under such insecure, uh, you know, circumstances, because nobody, I mean, almost nobody there was going to school. So that's where I began. And I think that, you know, my commitment for college was, I think, something like uh, two hours a week or something like that. And now the classes would happen every day from two to six for four hours. From day one, I ended up going every day and it became like instead of two hours, it was like four hours a day, six days a week. <laughs> Simply because, I mean, that was what was required. You know, I mean, you couldn't go only for two hours and work because the classes were happening every day. And then, you know, so somehow one just ended up kind of going there every day. And I, um, it, it, it was really a, 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 an experience that completely changed the course of my life. Um, it was an experience which uh, gave me so much uh, in terms of really an understanding of the realities of the world. Mm -hmm. So I was coming from a fairly protected, uh, you know, upper middle class kind of a background to see people living in such poverty was, I mean, it was like a complete, uh, you know, completely different to anything that I, have, that I had ever experienced. And to see that with whatever we were doing, I mean, also to see all the positivity there. I mean, you know, you know, slums and uh, pavement dwellers or poor people are generally seen in, in such bad light as, you know, thieves and uh, rowdies and uh, the, uh, you know, they are the whatever, the social evils and so on. But what I experienced there was really so much of positivity, people living their lives like all of us are leaving, living and, uh, you know, ha having their joys, having their sorrows, having their trials. I mean, like challenges pretty much like all of us. And also, but of course, very unique kind of circumstances. I mean, one can't deny it. You can't say that they were just like us because the level of insecurity they faced was like nothing like, you know, people from privilege would face. So obviously there were, uh, there were uh, you know, different kinds of or very severe and fundamental and almost systemic challenges that they were 
uh, also facing. But in the light of it also were the dreams that they had, the aspirations they had, the dreams they had for their children, how they wanted them to study, children themselves and what all they were you know, uh, willing to do. I mean, so all of that was also quite, um, uh, what would I say? I, I would say um, uh, inspirational and more than insp inspiring. I think it, it's something that I also drew a lot of strength from. Now, looking back, okay, this is a very interesting point because somewhere I think this even shaped the way you were thinking because you volunteered, for, you agreed to volunteer the beginning at the outset for two hours. But every day you were giving four hours. Now looking back, uh, your answer that you just said that you were drawing strength from them. What kind of a strength are you talking about uh, when you are in the position of privilege that you are giving them? What strength were you drawing from them that you just didn't see you were giving four hours every day to those children? See, I think it was, um, you know, it was their ability to live life uh, to the best that they could, even under the kind of very difficult circumstances. So I think it was around uh, something around that. I mean, I, I, I'm not still very sure what it was, but it was basically around that. And it's not something that I was very aware of then. I mean, I was all of 19 years old. So yeah, it's not, it's yeah. like now when one looks back, you kind of say that maybe that was it. But I, I did know very clearly that I wanted to go back there every day. To the extent that, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I actually uh, look forward to those sessions or going there much more than I did even to college. Oh, wow. So obviously there was something which was uh, drawing me so much. And I mean, it wouldn't be that much if it wasn't giving me something. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, be committing yourself and uh, being so much a part of something if it is not giving you something in return. So obviously there was something. And I know that, see, it was it, it, it did have its share of daily challenges, many, many challenges. But somehow working with those challenges uh, was fulfilling and meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. And which is probably why one, you know, just kind of, just went back all the time. <laughs> because uh, when you, you, you were speaking about that age of yours, like you said, 19, 19, 20 is a very aspirational age for youngsters where you have your own dreams, which now maybe you can ca categorize as selfish, but it's all about you. You are the center of your universe and it's your dreams on how you pursue uh, whatever your dreams are perceive what life is it's such a beautiful face where it's all about life and you're looking forward to it but like you said maybe at that time you didn't know where did those years and those hours lead you to when you were uh, planning your post-graduation or then on yeah see i think one is uh, it's it's an aspirational age for sure um, it's also a very impressionable age. Yes, yes. So what happens, you know, what are the very strong influences at that age also come to shape your aspirations, which is what ha with, happened with me. Like before I joined Yuva, my goal was, I was, I was quite good in languages and I used to learn uh, French at uh, the Alliance Française then. Uh, and my aim then was to go to JNU and do my master's in French and become a translator. That was what I wanted to do because I, I, I did love, I, I do love languages and I did love French and I thought that that's a great uh, thing to do. And it was this experience that completely changed what I wanted to do in my life. Mm 
so you know when you're talking about the um, aspiration <clears throat> sure it is a phase of uh, you know determining what your life is going to be and i think the kind of influences i had which were more see it was also not i would say you know we're talking about like the mid 80s you know where i think the level of uh, i mean i think the level of individualism that you see today was not that high i mean it was there i'm not saying that it wasn't i mean everybody was looking at you know what where they would study further and going to the us and things like that i mean people around were all doing that but it was also an age when there was still some uh, you know uh, some sort of collective social uh, uh, you know socio political kind of awareness and consciousness still there among students i mean even even then it was uh, you know it was we were in a minority but there was and i think xavier's as a college did have uh, you know people uh, professors uh, who were uh, leaning towards more liberal in that sense leaning more towards the collective looking at social change and so on so it was it was it was all these influences definitely you are was one of them i mean it was the main influence but it was also my education in xavier's Okay. okay. I'm doing sociology, for example, uh, having a lot of like field trips to uh, you know um, dam displacement sites, you know those kind of things, which also were shaping. So it was, and there was that space. I feel then, um, which I think is much reduced now, of actually engaging with the social reality, with the socio political reality. So I think there were these. I mean, these two or three kind of influences which are coming together, which. really uh, you know to answer your question move me from going to jnu for uh, learning <laughs> actually going to tata institute of social sciences and doing my ma in social work so that's how that's how that whole experience kind of changed it changed the course of my life and in social work now that you were full fledged into a postgraduate course on it uh, where did your focus go what did you want to do what did you expect out of the post graduation Uh, how did your uh, life just pan out so uh going to tata institute of social sciences for me was uh, i mean the reason i chose that as an option was i i thought that i had had a lot of experience with field work because i had worked with you up then for a, about 2 years uh, that is a second year and third year of college i had worked in you and then i had taken a break between ba and ma what is now called a gap year i mean i said i want to take a break <laughs> then i took a break and i actually worked with uva full time for a year so grounding on on the ground field work kind of grounding was was fairly strong and i thought i needed a little more of uh, you know shaping in terms of uh, research and look at policy and those kind of things which i thought tiss would would give me so that was that was uh, the reason that you know i kind of again meandered towards uh, tiss and um, the other was by then my father had got transferred out of mumbai so for me it was also an opportunity to stay in a hostel okay. which was so uh, it was it was um, so post graduation was really that and it was meeting uh, you know a complete cross section of people from across the country uh i mean very very sharp brains as you know co students mm. uh wonderful professors uh, many of them who were who again had this inkling because i think by then my politics was uh, fairly uh, established within myself so it was looking at you know transformational politics looking at social change looking at um you know all more the societal processes etc which also um 
I would say uh, in in a, in a, I I won't say all of this, but it was a fairly strong uh, thread even within this. So that's how I ended up doing my MA in uh, social work. I continued to associate with uh, you. I would do, you know, in holidays, I would kind of do small projects and things like that. Okay. So did you see yourself now slowly shifting into being a change maker, someone on those lines? After post-graduation, what did you think? Continue with the UR? Uh, what were what were your dreams at that point of time? Yeah, see, for me, I think Yuva was. Uh, I mean, in, in a in a sense, because it was the first space that I'm, you know, and where these ideas and all were shaped. It was always something I, you know, go back to till today even. You know, I mean, it's always like a, like a homing pigeon. I'm always like kind of going back to Yuva. So right after I finished my MA, also I was very clear that once I finish MA, I'm going to start work with Yuva full time. So it was like. I never, you know, gave interviews for other, because you would have campus placements and things like yeah. that. I really didn't uh, go for anything because I knew I was going to work in, in uh, Yuva. So that's how I kind of, you know, came back uh, to Yuva. I think because, uh, see, I mean, that's the place I started with. So it's like, you know, that, that shaped you and, you know, then you're saying that that's what I want to do in my life. Yeah, yeah. You know, though by then, because of TISS, I had had exposure to different kinds of things, but I was, I think that that foundation and I mean, um, the kind of training in Yuva was so strong and so fundamental that that kind of, uh, you know, orientation does, uh, I mean, it's, it stays with you. And like I said, also at a very impressionable age. Hmm. So it's like, you know, that's that it just became that that's what I want to do in life. And see this change maker and all these are really, really big words. For me, it was just what, uh, you know, what, what is it that I'm very comfortable doing? Uh, and, you know, I mean, let me just do that. That's, that's really what I want to do kind of a thing. And it was not about, it never was about me as a change maker, as much as me being a part of Yuva, which is really a, a larger, uh, you know, which is trying to impact society in a larger way. And me being a part of that process rather than me being uh, a change maker or me being something. Okay. Okay. And then uh, what did life have for you in this meandering journey? What did life <laughs> have in store? Because I think from there, you've come a long way. And uh, how, how do you look back on those dots, uh, Kavita, that shaped you to what you're doing today, which is also very interesting? Okay, so that, um, yeah, so I worked with Yuva till about, uh, what, 2000, that would be about uh, nine, 10 years after I finished my graduation, uh, post-graduation. And um, then I met my, uh, the man was to become my husband. So I met him at, uh, at a workshop where he was facilitating a personal growth workshop. And uh, of course, we, we kind of fell in love and then we decided to get married. And, uh, at that time, I think uh, we were thinking that uh, we didn't want to continue living in Mumbai as a family because somehow it was fine for, you know, when you are like single and uh, footloose and fancy free. But with a family, it was because, I mean, we, we didn't live there for about six months, but like I would leave home at around 8.30 in the morning and come back at like 10, 10.30 in the night. So, you know, we were like really questioning whether this is the kind mean, then where did where does and I was working Saturday. So, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, that's the culture in Mumbai. So anyway, we were working like that. And then we were saying like, I mean, uh, you know, if it's a, like starting a family and all that, I mean, would this really be uh, the best kind of place to stay in or would we like to go to some quieter, uh, at least the pace of life is quieter. 
Uh, also, my parents were in uh, Bangalore, so which is why we kind of zeroed in on Bangalore. And that's how we ended up fairly soon after marriage. Maybe six months after we got married, we moved to uh, Bangalore. And then I was working with an organization uh, called Maya for some time, which was, uh, you know, similar kind of social change work. So I was working on a campaign for elementary education. Um, and then I uh, got pregnant, and which was one of the most, I mean, the most precious experiences of my life. I mean, I was really looking forward to be, being a mom. And uh, I think uh, it, it, it was a wonderful phase. Uh, I quit my job somewhere the third or fourth month because I just said I just want to you know focus on enjoying this this phase of my life so I was like uh, and and it was it was a very uh, very joyful phase um, and then uh, Anand was born and um, I think that was like I would think is like the second transformational uh, you know point of uh, my life. So Anant, uh, around six months, when he was around six or eight months, maybe eight, nine months, he um, uh, started getting what we then later realized was seizures. So he would get uh, about 20, 20 odd seizures a day. And it took us a while to really figure out what was happening. And he was not diagnosed correctly initially in, in Bangalore. And then we went to Mumbai, found, you know, a pediatric neurologist who diagnosed it correctly and then he was put on medication etc but the end result of all this was that uh, there was a lot of developmental delay because uh, you know seizures do impact the brain and that was at a very delicate uh, stage of the child's life because you know at at, uh, at that stage is when the brain is going at its fastest so at that stage it is this thing so he did have uh, you know a lot of developmental delays and that whole experience of really being a mother uh, was what brought me in touch with disability yeah. and um, childhood disability at that um, and it's it's very strange Rashmi because having worked uh, you know in UVA I've always worked with children with marginalized children so yeah. worked with street children with child labor and the, um, you know uh, girl children and so on and it's very strange that I had hardly looked at disability amongst children. Yeah. And uh, for me, it was really, I mean, it was almost a shock to realize that, you know, 10, 12 years of working on children's rights and disability had not, uh, disability, childhood disability or disability amongst children was, had not really been a focus at all. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so maybe uh, that was, uh, you know, that, I mean, that, I, I, I ended up uh, looking at the whole area of, uh, childhood disability and one of the things that struck me uh, very early because he was then very young I mean you know once once you get once once you get a diagnosis then the parents and families get into that spin of you know yes. which therapy to go to where what to do and you know you're constantly trying to do even if you're not wanting to fix the child but it is you know I have to give him the best that you can give at this point of time. So there is, and there are so many things happening around that you don't know what to do. So it is very, very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, there was too, in some ways, there was so much knowledge and it was, you know, some of it was like, it, it's also, it's very confusing and very overwhelming to have such a lot of this thing. But we were lucky to find some good professionals in Bangalore whom we could trust. And then we just said, okay, we're sticking to this. I mean, whatever else is happening in the world. Hmm. So, um, so anyway, so that brought me in touch with other families uh, who had children with disabilities, primarily neurodevelopmental disabilities, because Anand's was a global developmental delay. 
So it was largely, you know, uh, disabilities like uh, autism, ADHD, learning disabilities, are, are those families that I would come across um, wherever we were taking Anant uh, for uh, therapy. And I think then was, was the struggle to find, uh, you know, schooling, which was relevant, which was meeting his needs and yet inclusive. Uh, which was the initial struggle. He was almost nine years in very nice schools. I mean, I think he was in very, very child-centric uh, kind of, you know, preschool and early uh, education. But I also figured out by the time he was nine that, you know, uh, while these were great schools, they were inclusive schools. They followed like say the Montessori or the multiple intelligence approach, which were, and they were very welcoming of him. Uh, there was not too much pressure. Um, they, they did try their best to do whatever they could for Anand. But the fact is that they were all not geared to meet his needs simply because they did not understand, uh, you know, what it means uh, to have uh, certain, uh, you know, uh, difficulties. So by the time he was nine is when um, we moved him into a special school. And that was actually a good decision because uh, finally he was in an environment where he was you know, totally understood and where he could get the kind of inputs and the services that he, he, he required. And so, so for me, it was actually, um, there was this, uh, you know, questioning this whole thing of whose need is that inclusion? Is it his need? Is it serving him or is it my need? So that was, that's of course a, a side thing, but to backtrack a bit, um, you know, uh, when uh, very early when we would keep, you know, going, taking for therapies and all, he was all of one, one and a half years old. And I would just feel that all of us uh, are just running after these therapies and whatever. And somewhere the most you know, fundamental element of childhood, which is play, is completely being missed out. Yeah. Because, uh, I know, you know, it was strange, Ashmi, because all the doctors and the developmental pediatricians, everybody would say, you know, children should play more and they learn so much through play. And in early, uh, you know, in early ages, it's basically play, which, which all, all children learn through, etc. And yet, um, uh, not so much for Anand, because we didn't overschedule him so much. But I would find that around me that a lot of uh, families or, you know, were like doing a lot. So they were constantly in this, this rush to kind of catch up maybe. Uh, so everybody, I mean, the play as something which is fundamental to a child was somehow being missed out, which was what one was seeing uh, all, all around us. And, and I questioned that with myself also, you know, that... I mean, is Anand growing in, in an environment where, you know, there is playfulness, there is joy, uh, while all the other things are also being done. Uh, and then once we would go, you know, you know, Bangalore, so you have all these neighborhood parks where any young family every evening, I mean, what else do you do? You go to the park. Okay. So we would also go to the neighborhood and put the little small park, you know, it's just a neighborhood park, nothing fancy. And my husband, Ganesh, happened to mention that, um, you know, we don't see kids with disability in a park. Now, why do you think that is so? And that kind of started, got me thinking that, you know, which is true. You don't see, I mean, if any anyone who has young children would know you are taking your child to the park. Do you really see, uh, you know, young kids with a disability in a park? You don't. So why is that? So I started kind of uh, Googling around and then I found that there were spaces in, uh, in, in, in the Western nations, you know, so which had, uh, which were called inclusive play spaces, which had, 
you know, play equipments and the whole environment made such that children with all abilities could play there together. So that kind of started, uh, you know, me thinking. And I think it was also, by then, Anand would have been about two and a half years old. And from the time he, uh, you know, got diagnosed and then we got into this whole, you know, the medical and everything else, uh, I was not working anywhere. So I would, I initially would take up some small, you know, documentation kind of assignments, which were more home-based kind of thing, but I was really not enjoying those. And um, I mean, I was really completely cut off from work or everything that, you know, was, uh, I would say, you know, in a sense was so central to my work, uh, to my life uh, before. So I think personally also, I was probably looking for something in some way in which I could while not compromising, uh, you know, being with my son and doing what is required for him, yet find a way to get back into some for, something in this in this line. And it was obviously then not very clear what that something was. But obviously, it must have been there, you know. So that's how it. I started kind of talking to people, talking to... First, I started talking to all the moms around. Because when you're waiting and your child is in therapy, you, you know, you're waiting. And so you generally kind of start chit-chatting. I started talking to them. I started talking to his therapist. Started talking to various people about this whole area of play and what can we do. Yeah. Did, did any of them also reflect with you or say that, yeah, the places are not inclusive. Uh, people don't give a thought about it. Or they didn't see that at all. See, I think uh, uh, one was that not many of the kids we met had physical disabilities because we were we were basically in spaces of, of uh, you know therapeutic and rehabilitative services for children with intellectual and uh, learning disabilities so um, it is mostly the ones uh, you know children with physical disabilities somehow have the i mean they know they don't they, they're not even able to go to a play space because of the physical challenges itself mm-hmm. our kids were able to go but were we taking them there and were what they were doing there uh, you know meeting their needs was 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 a secondary issue but the primary thing of at least being able to go to a park was was at least not that much of a challenge for us but the question was how many people were actually even taking the kids to the park you know, so for here, it was more a thing of bringing it to consciousness that, you know, kids need to play and can we really kind of make that also a priority. And I think all therapists would say, you know, take them for half an hour to the park and so on. They would do. But and families would, to the extent possible, they would kind of do it. Not always, because there are also many, many difficulties that, that we face as families and therefore it may have been difficult. But I think uh, everyone saw the need. And uh, people did see that, uh, you know, of course, you know, when you started talking and then it is like, yeah, of course, of course, our kids should be playing with other kids. Of course, this should be happening. And slowly a small kind of a group of parents, uh, small group, very small group, there were some three or four parents uh, formed and we started looking at how, what do we do about it? And one thing we were clear about was uh, that this needs to be, I mean, whatever we, you know, form or whatever it leads to needs to be something in a public space uh, primarily because we felt our kids were uh, they were not even in school then they were really young and we felt that they are very isolated they're isolated in uh, you know therapy centers or you know special schools or whatever and their um, interaction with regular society there was, there was no spaces for that and so our thing was that if why can't play be that that kind of the, the, the site? Why can't the playground be the site to which will uh, allow this kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, interaction or at least presence? I mean, even if there's no interaction, at least our kids are seen over there. Mm-hmm. 
yeah you know let them at least start coming so initially like see of course now it is almost some 17 18 years so the way i'm articulating it was not the way it happened i mean it was not so sharp then it was just that i mean like i can't our kids also play with other kids in spaces that other kids play it was as simple as that and then there were people who told us that you know if it's a public play space you have to lock horns with the with the bbmp i mean how else are you going to get permission to do it in a public play space in a public garden so and they told us that you know i mean why don't you look at special schools it will be so much easier for you but for us i think as much uh, as it was important to get them to play it was important to get them to play in a public space i mean that was really i mean something which was very strong in all of us so this whole thing of you know inclusion uh, was was strong and that's how we started so we started with uh, the first uh, park which was in coles park in bangalore in uh, fraser town because two of our families lived in the neighborhood i mean again it was not very scientific or anything it was just just chance another one of those meandering things so um, so we chose coles park and then we did a consultation with you know coles park is situated with a lot of schools around so there were seven eight schools right around it uh so we did a consultation with uh not those school children but with uh children in the in the general east bangalore kind of uh, neighborhood uh who work with children with disabilities so we took this bunch of children with disabilities to the park and we asked them to tell us what they would like to be changed in the park so you know i mean what was their experience of playing and what would they like uh changed and that we kind of put down together then we also talked to their caregivers could be parents could be therapists could be you know um, special educators whatever we did the same thing that if this park has to be made uh, you know such that it meets the needs of the children you work with or you care for uh, what do you think are the kind of things that should you know be be put into that park so and very- you did this just as a parent not yeah. with no kilikili was born at that point of time it was just an inquisitive concerned mother along with few other mothers who wanted to get this going yeah ma- mothers and one father okay <laughs> and two fathers actually yeah. and i i don't remember very clearly now whether kilikili was uh, definitely kilikili was not registered Okay. uh but i think um, the name and uh, you know uh, something i mean the formation was kind of beginning very very no, but where did you get the name from it's oh, from a child's laughter or something <laughs> <laughs> you know it was very interesting um so uh, there was um, well a friend of mine in yuva friend and mentor in yuva was uh, then working on some campaign where she had uh she was working with leo burn the ad agency huh. and they had come up with some really lovely creative uh, visuals and then i was looking at this name and i generally asked friends you know can you think of a name and she said look these guys are really nice uh, i can ask whether they kind of do it and they were doing it pro bono for us all in yuva also so they'll do it kind of pro bono for you so then i said yeah why not so that's how i got in touch with this person in leo burnet and uh, i mean i be yeah, you know the concept was clear of what what kitikili is going to be doing and they came up with a list of some 15 names and one of it was kilkili okay. in hindi which is you know like um, how does one translate it something which is blossoming blossoming you know like this yeah. thing so i was talking to another friend in uh, in in the organization i used to work with in bangalore called maya who's also rashmi shetty by the way <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I was just, she was, you know, I was asking her for a Canada name actually. I mean, so I had asked a few people, uh-huh. and I had asked her for something in Canada she could suggest. And uh, so she, I, we were in touch, and then I said, okay, this is the list, and I really like Kilkili. And she said, oh, there is a word Kilkili in Canada, which yeah. means the you know the wobbling laughter of a child right. and that seemed yes that's the one i mean let's let's go with that so that's how the name kidikili kind of emerged okay and i didn't know it had a rashmi shetty connect <laughs> oh this... one more of the meandering ones <laughs> <laughs> seriously <laughs> okay so you had conceived this and thought about this as a group together so that it's easier when you approach organizations and offices as a group oh wow okay okay life really has reasons huh? to put you wherever it does <laughs> and all the learning with you are and further on really must have come into good stead in these times right absolutely you know sometimes i wonder whether uh, see it was because of yuva that i mean i with the personal circumstance uh, i kind of you know uh, played a role in yeah. doing something which would you know uh, be something in the in the social space like i sometimes wonder if i was a lawyer for example maybe i would have looked at what are the legal or policy kind of things that are needed and you know done there or if i was an architect maybe it would have so you know i mean definitely my education and my training and my work experience which was was my earlier uh, you know the, uh, the you know earlier influence or whatever definitely i think that played a role uh, in in ter- a role in uh, determining what what i made of the personal circumstance that i found myself in. yeah i mean definitely because i don't think otherwise this could have happened you know so it definitely is all those early what we just spoke about all those influences yeah, yeah. which which probably led to what was to come Yes, yes. And so life, I think that's the beauty of life, you know. Uh, and like Steve Jobs said, when you look back and connect the dots, you realize why. And yeah, uh, yeah. so thus was this small little group, Kili Kili, which is all about creating inclusive spaces. And how did it go then on? You could easily get through with the BBMP and get places uh, inclusive, get people inclusive. in their thought process so uh, when we began you know the first we went a group of the group of us we right. went okay so what happened after the consultation was um, there was uh, one special educator meena jain and uh, one architect chitra vishwanath who were part of these processes you know when we had the thing and they were very interested and we also needed a broader group than just parents Hmm. so chitra and meena both came on board and uh, you know really helped us to kind of shape the whole thing in the initial years because uh, meena because of being a special educator she was so clued into the whole scene in bangalore because i was also you know my son was about 3 3 3 and a half years old and i still didn't know the landscape so much then i mean it was really more of i knew a little bit of where, you know where he was plugging into but not really the entire sector or whatever it's all new to me and uh, so meena helped a lot in those early years uh, in really you know making connections putting me in touch with people and so on and chitra was uh, i mean absolutely a, like a backbone of support in terms of really the technical things because it it, it required that 
you know, she's uh, one of the foremost architects uh, working in sustainability architecture in India. And she would, you know, she was so committed to this whole uh, concept and this thought. And she continues even today, she kind of, you know, it's so many years and she continues to kind of help us out whenever we need. Uh, and she's been a really a backbone of support. So it was actually the three of us who formed ourselves into some kind of a loose team mm. where we were doing, uh, you know, kind of doing all the groundwork, all that, everything which came out of all these processes. How did they, how are they going to, I mean, how does it go from there to something that can happen in a public park, in a BBMP park? I mean, that whole process is what we were working on. So a bunch of us, parents, and uh, I, I think it was also Chitra and Meena, we went to meet Mr. Jairaj, who was then the BBMP commissioner. And we went with all this, you know, we have to convince him and, you know, we have, what, what are the points you're going to talk about and, you know, what will, what will really, I mean, how's, what, what are the points and this and that we went with. And you won't believe it, it took all of three minutes for him to say, yeah, of course, do it. And like, we were actually a bit, bit, bit shocked, you know, because we, we had come with this like presentation and all and saying that, you know, maybe we have to convince him using something and... He was so uh, open and he himself had, um, you know, he was, I think, the chairperson of the Association for the Mentally Challenged. So it, uh, disability was not uh, new to him. Hmm. Of course, I think health, but he was also a very proactive person. So he just said, yeah, of course, go ahead and do it. And he said, you contact so-and-so and, you know, they will help you and that was it. So we were out of his office in like, like some five minutes, you know. And it was really, I mean, it was uh, for all that people had, you know, told us about the BBMP, I think it was a great uh, move to begin with. But we did struggle with, because after that, it was not Mr. Jairaj, we were, you know, talking to yeah. um, even, even the, the, you know, the, the next level, which was the DCF and all, even there, it was fine. They were very, very, uh, you know, supportive. But the actual level of at the ward level and the real people who were the engineers who were working on the site, it took a little bit of time because we were not willing to do what they wanted us to do so of course it took time so uh it it, it did take a little while and then we were getting frustrated because we had all our plans in place we had contacted vendors we had kind of you know had designs all that was done but nothing was happening so for the first part what we had decided was that uh, Kilikili would put in the play equipment and the BBMP will do the uh, civil works, you know, mm -hmm. like the ramps and the mm -hmm. pathways and everything that, that needed to be done. The civil works, the BBMP will do and we will do the play equipment. That was the arrangement. Nothing was happening. So our consultation had happened. Again, uh, this is all so much of a coincidence. But our, this series of consultations had happened on one, one of the dis disability days. So it will be 2005. So the second and third of December 2005 was when these consultations had happened. And it took us about three, four months to get organized and meet Mr. Jairaj and all that. And we were hoping that 2006, third December, we'd be able to inaugurate a park. It was October and nothing had happened. And like, you know, we were like, okay, now come on. I mean, something should happen. So finally, what we did was we went and told Mr. Jairaj that, uh, look, we would really like to uh, you know, inaugurate this park on Disability Day. And this is going to be the first public park in India. So I'm sure, I mean, even for the BBMP, it will be a big thing. And we really want it to happen. So he said, I, we asked him, would you come and inaugurate it? He said, yeah, I will. So we went ahead because nothing was happening. We went ahead and we actually declared that we are, we are opening the park on 3rd December. We printed the invitation cards. 
<laughs> I can call these guys. But look, your commissioner is coming to inaugurate the park. And here's the invitation. And you won't believe it, it actually worked because the whole system then got, I mean, and there was pressure, you know, that to do it. And it was within a matter of a month that they actually got what things. So actually things can happen, but they don't. I mean, they just don't. Yeah. And, you know, so anyway, so, so that happened. And then we kind of, uh, 2006 was the first park which we inaugurated. And uh, which was a great, great moment for all of us because it was something that everybody, Mr. Jairaj did come. He did inaugurate the space. And when he inaugurated, he also, that time Bangalore had only three zones. Three. The corporation had three yeah. zones. Yeah. So this was in the east zone. So he said one in the west and one in the south. Uh, he, he sanctioned then and there. Hmm. So that was how uh, subsequently, I mean, it took us about two years, but subsequently the park in Gayatri Devi Park in Rajajinagar, near Navrang, and uh, the park, MN Krishna Park in Baswanguri, these two also uh, became inclusive play spaces. So with that, set out your journey. Then, after inclusive play spaces? So, well, just making the park was not enough because what yeah. happened was, two things happened. One is in Coles Park, what happened was within a month, every equipment was broken. Why? It took just a month. Primarily because, see, the, the I think Coles Park, the play space in Coles Park, the park is a lovely space, but the play space in Coles Park was completely neglected. And nobody was giving it any, any attention. I mean, when we went to see, you know, do the consultation with the kids, there were just these broken swings and slides and nothing was usable. So when this thing happened, I mean, when this, you know, fairly fancy, colorful, the regular stuff, not anything, this thing, but it looked very nice, looked colorful. There were lots of it, all that happened. The place also has a lot of children. So the usage was like very, very high. Uh -huh. Which I'm not saying is wrong because I mean a public play space is for kids to use and kids will use. Yeah. The point is that in a space which was underserved, uh, when you had something like this, of course kids were using and kids were overusing it. I mean, overusing in quotes. I mean, I, I'm not saying yeah. it in a bad way. Yeah. But I mean, it was, there was a lot of traffic, let's say. You know, because again, there are so many kids and, and it's actually very beautiful because, for example, you know, kids would go across from school, going home, they would cross, go across the park, which is a beautiful thing. And then they would play and they would go and so on. So I think the usage was very high and uh, things got destroyed. So the first task for us was really to re, re, re kind of set up the whole space. So which was what our energies went in. The second thing we realized was um, that special kids were still not coming to the park. Mm. So we realized that, yes, uh, the physical uh, infrastructure, you know, the, the equipment, the ramps, the all that is important. But there is also a social component, which, which we had not thought about at all. We said, you know, this is something that everybody wants. And uh, once it is there, people will come in droves, which was not happening. So we then began a lot of programs uh, of, you know, uh, supporting families and supporting schools to come to the park. So we had volunteers, uh, you know, we started something called the Saturdays Family Day Out, where we would encourage families to come. And we, uh, Bangalore, in a way, we were very lucky. It was also maybe a time when a lot of volunteerism was happening with corporate volunteers, etc. You had organizations which were like I volunteer and others who were, you know, you had, uh, uh, you know, who are only for volunteering, you know, connecting organizations or causes to people who want to volunteer. A lot of that was happening in that 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 uh, phase. So we kind of 
banked on that and we we would get volunteers to come and we would tell families look you just come we have volunteers who will play with your kids you don't need to worry you know so that kind of support which was more the social support uh, and we did that with schools also we said one way of getting special kids to the park is to get schools to bring them yeah. so we started organizing you know uh, we kind of uh, located uh, schools around uh, started you know allocating volunteers and days to them uh, some of them had their vehicles they would come some we would even support their transport so we started getting on weekdays we started getting kids uh, to come to the park from schools which was not inclusive other than if there were other kids who were playing you know sometimes street kids would be playing there at that time mm -hmm. so they would also play with them but it was also a way in which the park was getting used for by you know kids for whom it was made so that's how the whole uh, so the whole thing of not just the physical infrastructure but you also need to look at the whole social dimension and the the need for the support and solidarity that families and schools or other institutions face before at least for a while before it can become more a way of life for them so we then actually along with developing park we also spend as much time in these kind of activities also wow so it's not only about facility it's about plugging in the community to use the facility Ooh. and the support that they need to be yeah 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 so here you have three nice you know for me whatever you're saying is a nice visual so here is a group of volunteers who are bringing the community that needs it to the space that has been created for it and that's how the entire uh, wheel kind of gets into motion and uh, did this give you a kind of confidence that you can take it to the next level uh, Kavita after this and what what else did you do what did you do Beyond. Yeah, so see, actually, we were not very ambitious. We were quite happy doing this um, because it was also a lot. See, the thing is, we were not like a, in a sense, an organization. We, we were not an organization. We, I mean, we were registered as a trust, which was needed for, you know, like for yeah. getting funds. And, you know, you have a face to kind of, uh, you have a yeah. backing when you go to yeah. meet people, etc. But other than that, we didn't have an office. Mm -hmm. We didn't have staff. We were just parents, a few parents. Uh, and uh, a bunch of volunteers so volunteers would have their regular jobs and parents had anyway their parenting and which was 24 by 7 so yes. it's not like we we were i mean even what we had even doing this which was you know doing quarterly events in the park ensuring some of the saturday programs happen ensuring some schools are coming and ensuring that you know the the constant follow-up with the bbmp for the other two parks we were actually our hands were full so it was not that, you know, so we were not, not even thinking about what is to be done and how do we take it. People would keep saying, you know, you should do this, you should do that. And we would be like, yeah, you come and do it. Because it's not easy, you know, I mean, it's, correct, it's correct. really not easy to be doing such a lot. And we were frankly quite happy that we were happy with what, what was happening and what, what was uh, this thing. What did end up happening was um, somehow we ended up getting a lot of good press. And the idea was kind of not that we were approaching, but it was just maybe the idea was novel. And, uh, you know, it, it's like this, whenever there's a disability day or an autism day, I mean, they look for what they want and then they will cover it. You know, it was like that because it was maybe something new or whatever. And because of that, a lot of people were getting to know about it. So uh, people had actually, people as in communities, you know, people in the community would start uh, approaching us and saying, will you kind of help us out? And so we had this really dynamic 72-year-old uh, woman from Mangalore. 
uh -huh. who was uh, you know she was very active in the neighborhood park in her area and she wanted to do something in mango so she came and she saw the park and she kind of you know asked us what we have done etc etc and then we we just shared what we have done i mean it was nothing 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 more than that just what we were doing we would just be very particular about driving the inclusive bit because everybody will say you know we want to make one special special area for special children and we would say no that is not the idea the idea is not special a park for special children it is a park for all children where special children will also come so or may you know so, so that, actually that was the only thing that we were pushing but other than that it was like really sharing what we were doing and so this lady prabha kudwa from uh, mangalore kind of approached us and there was this organization called isaf um which wanted to do something in bangalore there was a parents group from uh, mumbai called hope foundation which wanted to do something in their area so this was happening so the next phase really was where people were kind of coming and asking us will you help us mm -hmm. and help meant what we were not really doing any development or anything we would just really talk about our ideas what we did and i think i mean now looking back i feel maybe what it did did give was i mean okay if somebody could have done it there we can also do it so yeah. it was really more that confidence because i mean maybe people had all thought about it earlier or whatever and maybe not knowing how to go about it and so it was really doing that you know saying that this is how we went about it maybe it will work for you and frankly i feel in terms of the design i feel like what they did in mumbai what they did in mangalore the designs were actually better than what we had done in bangalore which was great because we were also saying we don't want this it's not a cookie cutter model Yeah. We are not saying you know this is what it is and this is what you need to kind of replicate in every space. We didn't want that. We were it's actually the idea which we wanted to see in different thing and let's let let it flower in the way it makes sense for that group of people. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, so that was where our energy went in the next phase. So you know, in the next three or four years, we had these spaces in Nagpur, in Mangalore, and I have not seen any of them other than Mumbai. I have not seen the Mangalore one. I have not seen the Nagpur one. but it it just took a life of its own and you know took yeah. took its own own path in a sense yeah yeah so from there where did and how did kilkili spread its wings and not only that you're now into something else completely different so yeah, what are so, you currently doing so what happened was so like i said there were more people who were coming and asking us and at some point of time what we also realized we were also you know within in bangalore we were in talks with the bbmp for at least four other parts none of which materialized okay you know so it was one of those things that i mean the same we were doing the same things but somehow for various reasons none of that really materialized but there was so we were in this development you know mm -hmm. and we were also finding it uh, uh, like the maintenance issues which were coming up in the older parts you know i mean things were i mean and we were doing everything i mean sometimes we were feeling that this is not our job our job was not to repair the swinging courts park you know so but we were doing it because there was nobody else to do it there was no system we began to realize that for the bbmp also these were like okay this bunch of parents were coming and okay let's do it for them which is why only three happened where there are thousand parks even to date thousand plus parks in bangalore and only three are inclusive of which colds park today is unusable so in effect there are only two which are uh, you know usable so now what does it mean that we began to say that and it's not our work we said we as a group of parents and as critically we don't want to be developing looking at each park and doing this in each park that's not our job hmm. our job is to say that this needs to be done and that it can be done and this is how it is to be done 
And it finally has to become a matter of policy. It has to be something that BBMP and other civic agencies say that, like they have a list of some, you know, 20 odd things that they do, like a fountain, like this, and various things they have, like one gazebo, they have things. And we said, really, we should be able to say that you make an inclusive play space, and that's what you need to kind of uh, do. And that, that should be our goal. Now, if we were, uh, and I have to admit that we have not been able to achieve that. It has not been possible. Uh, also, because one is, it's, it's really a long-term thing and it's, it's a massive, you know, it's, it's a very ambitious goal. Also, because we, uh, we were completely subsumed, like I told you with what we were all, already doing. So to kind of take on at this level was not possible. So maybe if there was someone, I would, I don't know what, more ambitious, more driven, more, uh, you know, thinking in terms of systems, uh, thinking of, you know, broader organizations, maybe it would have happened, but with, with this group, with us, it didn't happen. And uh, so that is, it is a, it's a kind of a regret because uh, I think the potential was there to take it to that level, but I don't think we really had the wherewithal to do it and we could not do it. So to date, I mean, it, we, we've really not been able to make that kind of a change, uh, though there were some little ambition for that, but we've not been able to do that. But what did happen was, uh, like I was saying, people were coming in. So there were these small things happening and we said, that by then we were about 10, 10 years, 10 odd years old, 10, 12 years old. And we said that, is it possible to document all of this hmm. so that it's available for people like this who are coming, you know? So we actually launched into, that was another big project where we actually launched into coming up with a kind of a manual which says that this has to be a matter of policy. Okay. And for those who decide to do it, here is a how to. So we actually put all the designs till then, not just you know what Kilikili had done, but what all these other parks had also done, uh, put all the designs with the, you know, with even the drawings in, with names of manufacturers, everything. So anybody, you know, wanting to do this can actually, in theory, pick up the book and say, okay, I'm going to do it. You know, so so we actually that took a lot of our energy because we spent two or three years in getting the manual done printing it, disseminating it, and so on. But that was really, I mean, in a way that I think uh, marked the culmination of our efforts. Uh, because somewhere, it, for me as a parent, it was also, I need to move on to what my son's needs are. And there are the gaps that need, you know, that need to be filled, filled and not really, uh, you know, be with play was a need at that point of time. It emerged at a particular, you know, at, at a particular stage in his life. But there, there are other things that also needed to happen. So I also was very conscious of not wanting to put all my energies only in thinking. You know, it, it is that, uh, you know, I, I needed to do other things also. So in a way, so right now uh, with Kilikili, um, we are uh, available for, you know, these kind of uh, this thing. Our, our manual is available, which people can take. And though we hope that people would, you know, just take it and do it, we do still need to play some kind of a role, which is okay. I mean, it's not a very intensive role, so it's okay. So our role really has moved from actual project, you know, development, project implementation, uh, seeing that uh, spaces are maintained, seeing that, you know, the, both, both the, the technical bit as well as the community bit move from there to really be more of some kind of, the, of a consultant or, you know, a, a handholder really mm. of our people or communities or individuals, NGOs who are doing this wherever in the country and kind of handholding them, uh, so we so now post that we have now a space in Madurai, which has been developed. 
uh, one in uh, Chennai, which is already uh, developed, and two more in development, and some others that you know we are in. Uh, kind of, we are we are not doing it like I said whole hog, but we are in touch and we kind of help uh, help uh, do it. Yeah, so also what happened was uh, at the personal level, what happened was we moved out of uh, Bangalore. We moved to Chennai uh, about six years back, six and a half years back, uh, motivated primarily by my son's uh, passion for and talent in Carnatic classical music. So he's been, uh, I mean, that's one thing that has drawn him from when he was a baby. You know, it's, it's been music and specifically Carnatic music. I mean, it's like I think it's 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 a it's a gift, it's a blessing, uh, and uh, somewhere around the time that he was nine, um, uh, there were people in the family as well as you know there used to be this uh, young musician who would come to visit us, Kilikili, uh, uh, and we would run this little group uh, of uh, children with autism. She would come and sing to them uh, once in uh, fifteen days. Um, and uh, she was quite struck with Anand's musicality and she kept saying you come to Chennai and we try and you know shape it better etc so which is why we moved to Chennai oh okay and, uh, yeah so we've been in Chennai for six and a half years and continuing clinically work like what I just said hmm. uh, but also um, you know he was going to a to a nice school over here which was um, you know kind of continuing his uh, regular training and education along with his musical training so both was happening and one of the things i observed in uh, you know in 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 older kids when you know kind of moved out of his school was that uh, at least uh, four of three or four of them that i was in touch with um, were uh, the, the 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 kids kids meaning young adults then mm -hmm. all would have been about 18 19 or so were uh, at home not being able to find a space where they could continue learning. So one of the questions in my mind always then was, uh, is that going to be Anand? Anand was then about, what, 13, 14, 15, though that age. I knew he would be in the school till about 18. But the question was, what after that? And if, if, the, if there are no such spaces in, in, in the city, which will, you know, where he can seamlessly transition into, then he's also going to be sitting at home. Where will he go? Yes. So that, you know, again, started the whole process of questioning and really looking at what, you know, what needs to be done and what can be done and then talking to parents. And so we started a whole process with the parents group of the school itself, uh, the existing parents, as well as some of the parents of the boys who had passed out, uh, but who are yet to find a space where, you know, uh, they could continue their education. So there was a whole almost a year or so of discussions with parents and really looking at what do parents want. We went and visited other spaces in um, Coimbatore, in Bangalore, which was working with the 18 plus group, because that is also not too many, 18 plus and with autism. Uh, not too many, you know, as a specialized kind of a thing, not too many. And we had found that some of these boys had looked at, you know, there are these um, uh, centers which look at multiple disabilities, but somehow they were not finding their feet uh, in such spaces because they are also not geared to the specific needs of uh, youngsters with autism. Yeah. So, you know, so the gap was pretty clear that uh, there was a gap in services in educational and training services for young adults with autism uh, above 18 years. So then we started looking at what can we do about it? And then and then this whole conceptualization of, of what is today called the Cambridge Academy. Uh, this was you know, co-founded again by a bunch of us parents and professionals who were supporting the whole uh, 
whole thought. Uh, so it's a space which I mean I say that it's it's a college, <laughs> not a college in terms of scale, uh, but a college in terms of character. So what is the function that a college education plays in a person's life? You know that is the kind of function that this space also uh, plays. Uh, we have six students now, and it's basically a space for them to, like a college, to explore their interests. Uh, what do they really like to do? What do they want to do? Because the other thing we were observing, no, is everybody is pushing them into some vocational training unit. Correct. Correct. Now, whether they want to do it, are they interested in it? Is it what you know kind of brings meaning to their life? I mean, that there is not too much. So, typically, organizations will come up with what they want to do and try to fit the fit the youngsters in. We wanted to do it the other way around. And uh, we drew inspiration from other groups, like in Coimbatore, one of the groups we visited, which was the Amaze Trust, which was really doing looking at it from the point of view of the youngsters themselves, looking at their interests and seeing what can be done, you know, uh, from 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 there. So, um, so then that's how the space uh, started. So it's like uh, we do a lot of stuff. We ex ex expose them to a variety of things in the first year. So it's not just a vocational training. It's not only work, while work is a component. So we look at uh, cooking, we look at weaving uh, and some other things, data entry. We're also looking at jewelry making. And each of this has emerged out of an interest of the kids. So How the are first, the classes? Online or face-to-face? No, no, no. Yeah, we have a space. We have a... Oh. This started in 2018. So we worked for about two years in person before the pandemic. In the course of the pandemic, we shifted completely online mm -hmm. and we actually worked one and a half years doing the entire training online with with the tremendous support of the mothers so all the moms and we would have a two-hour kind of a thing every 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 day and then uh, now since september we have resumed the in-person classes uh, so that's happening but the idea really is to look at uh, so different areas so the each of the things that we we've, we've, we've started is because somebody was interested in it you know, not because we wanted to do it. Yeah. So the first batch of four kids, there were three who were very interested in cooking. So that's how we started that. And they started making small things like, you know, salads and uh, juices and sandwiches. Uh, and the second year, we said, let them cook their own lunch. So they actually would be, you know, 12 onwards, they would all sit together and they would cook their own lunch, depending on what they, they can do. So, you know, some of them were in, like in their the beginning stages. So they would just do things like peeling uh, vegetables. Some of them had, you know, could, could cut, chop very well. So they would do the chopping. Then we trained them to keep rice, soak dal, keep rice. The dal was initially a very simple dal. Now it has moved to sambar and more complex dals. The vegetables were just one little tadka and the vegetable. Now it's moved to, you know, somebody will grate coconut, put coconut. Sometimes it's ground. Then we move to pasta. So, you know, it's like increasing the complexity as they also develop their skills. And it's, it's still the simple thing of we're all eating lunch together. We are cooking our lunch together. But what they are doing has changed. You know, depending as they have grown, so has our, uh, you know, kind of thing also grown. One of our boys is now ready to, I mean, it, before the pandemic, he was actually interning at a, a neighborhood small catering outfit where he would go and help chop and help, you know, do some of the prep and stuff like that. So various things. So work is one part. And in the in the, in the in this period, some sometime in this period, I also got, uh, you know, when my son started going to the bubble center for autism in Bangalore, which 
uh, was the specialized center that he was going to. I had the opportunity to get trained by uh, an art uh, educator and uh, to work in bubbles uh, in, in uh, you know, setting up the art art unit, there, the visual arts unit. So I got, and I found that very, very, I mean, personally, very fulfilling because it was, it was very close to how I would want to interact with the child. So it was, this no pressure. It was not teaching art. It was really letting the child express himself or herself through art, looking at art as a facilitating uh, kind of a space rather than a teaching or a training space. So all of that gelled with how I wanted to look at, you know, working with kids. And I worked in bubbles for a while. And then when I moved to Chennai, I helped set up a unit here in with a parents group and um, uh, I also got trained in uh, doing arts based therapy work with Snehadhara which is an organization in Bangalore and uh, I mean somehow arts became quite central to um, you know what I was doing as part of my practice. So the arts is again a, a big thing in, uh, in in Cambridge. We do a lot of music, we do movement, we do visual art. And we have found, uh, you know, the couple of the boys, two, three of the boys who really found themselves in these spaces. So one of them is so into movement. And I mean, from, you know, he's really moved such a long way that now he can actually, you know, with his facilitator, he uh, can, uh, you know, do cho short choreographed pieces. Uh, there is another kid, who, uh, another boy who is so into rhythm and he comes up, you know, he uses the xylophone. We have a wooden xylophone and he uses it to create such beautiful rhythmic patterns, all of which are different each day. You know, so some of these discoveries have happened uh, through Cambridge. So we look at the arts also as a very uh, fundamental, critical and uh, very valid. I mean, people look at arts as, you know, like, okay, when they have leisure, you give them some crayons and they'll do that. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, we have one, somebody will come and sing to them once a week. No, no, it's, it's, it's a part of their lives. It gives them meaning. So for us, it is constant. The search is really to look at what gives them meaning and how can we develop that? Hmm. So, so the arts is another big chunk in this whole uh, program. And the other chunk is looking at community interface. So how can we, uh, you know, really bring them into the community and bring the community in, into our space. So they do things like shopping, for example, you know, so whatever they are cooking, they, uh, they have a roaster, they go to the shop, they go to the vegetable vendor, they go to the grocery store, they buy their groceries, provisions, uh, you know, everything. And all of that are teaching opportunities for us. We teach them uh, reading through that. We teach them number, quantity, uh, various things, measurement, all that happens through all these spaces. And it's also, they also like, I mean, they're not stuck in the, in the center all the time. They go for half an hour, they go, you know, they're walking in the neighborhood they are going they are bringing they're learning to shop etc all that is also happening we used to take them to a neighborhood gym hmm. so wherever possible it's not like we bring everything inside we try and take them out we used to go to a mall once once a week you know this whole big bazaar initiative yeah. of the quiet hour where you know they would one one day a week they were keeping it quiet so that kids with autism could come persons with autism could come so we use that as an opportunity to go to big bazaar uh, you know it's it, it's in a mall so we would go there they would uh, do their shopping everything with you know those who are not reading we would make picture shopping lists so they started buying first for themselves whatever they like so chocolate pepsi biscuits all went into the shopping tray and then it became what the family wanted so soaps and uh, you know uh, dal and whatever i mean so it was a process everything was a process of you know, making it as relevant and meaningful to their life as possible. And then we would take them to the food court and teach them to order food. So again, with their picture card, they would choose like, okay, I want Chole Bhature and they would go and show it to the counter. And, you know, so a lot of, 
life skills, uh, but basically stuff that is relevant to them, meaningful to them, and which makes, I mean, it makes sense to, you know, learn these things. So that's the kind of program we have. And it's been four years, almost four years now. This is the fourth year. And uh, it's been a roller coaster ride, but I think it's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's, um, giving us a lot of meaning because we feel it is something that all of us parents feel that this is this is what we want for our kids mm. and uh, so so it's, it's nice it's nice that we have something like this going right now <laughs> and uh, the pandemic uh, Kavita has been reflective for a lot of us for all different reasons what did it do to you at different stages in the pandemic it was different so right at the beginning, it was like we were gobsmacked. Nobody knew what was happening. And, you know, a lot of fear and, you know, uh, this thing. But it was also that first, because it was this complete break from your daily routine, it was also a space of a lot of quiet. So which was also welcome. So, you know, it was a bit of both. All four of us were at home. It was it was a nice phase of, you know, really reconnecting with the family. I mean, I found even with Anand, it was... You know, with this teenage years, there was a lot of, I mean, there was some bit of, you know, somehow we're doing things, but I, I used to always feel the connection missing, uh, which I think any any mother of any teenager will tell you that, that something is missing. But somehow in the, in the initial stages of the pandemic, I really found that was coming back. So there were many, many good things that also happened. But I think over time, it, it again, all ups and downs. So there were phases in which we were like, frustrated not able to go out i mean getting like you know fed up and those kind of phases also happen some kind of kind of getting depressed and wondering when things will this thing then the second wave was very uh because you know so many families so many people we knew who were affected who were you know losing their lives i mean it was horrible so yeah so it's been you know it's it's been a bit of an up and down and um it's also been, I, I guess, uh, a phase of learning. Of uh, it's, I think we're still very close to it. So one is not able to really see, uh, you know, how it has impacted us in what ways, other than you know, in these these relatively superficial ways, in which which is easier to articulate. But uh, in what deeper way it has changed my me or you know our relationships or connections with people? I mean, it's it's a little bit difficult, I think, yet to say because I think we're still too close to to the whole experience to be able to really talk about it. Yeah, true. And as we move away and come to the conclusion of the conversation, but three life lessons that you would want to leave us with. One is follow your heart or follow, follow your passion. I think it's very important to do things that, you know, are meaningful to you. Well, like what I was just saying, what we try with the Cambridge boys, I think that's really something that each of us has to do it for ourselves. And it doesn't matter who you are, you know, I mean, it is for everyone. And since we are doing this on uh, the occasion of, uh, you know, the International Day for Persons with Disabilities, I feel it is for everybody. I think, and I think it is meaning as defined by each one of us. So what's meaningful for me is meaningful for me. And I have every right to pursue that. So I would say that everyone, you know, just, just pursue what, you know, you feel is meaningful to your life. I think each of us owes it to ourselves to do this. You know, I, I know when you began, you began about this thing of what is so unique and what is, I think each one of us comes to this world with some purpose, with something which is so unique, each and every one of us, no matter who, you know, and I think it is uh, to discover that 
uh, and to follow that, to have the courage to follow that. I think that's really what each of us should be doing. And I think society, society, community, whatever, education has a responsibility to see that this, this happens. Oh, wow. Honored to have you on you and I with Rashmi Shetty and for this amazing, meaningful work that you do, Kavita. God bless you. May you get all the strength that you need and all the inspiration around you that you spread. May it help you continue this meaningful work that you're doing and may your tribe increase. Thank you so much, Rashmi, for everything that you've said. And I think I have got much, much, much more than I have given. I mean, in each of these experiences, they have made me who I am. And I mean, I continue. I continue to get so much from what I do. And I, I truly believe that I get much more than I give. Thank you so much for this conversation, Kavita. Thank you so much, Rashmi. Thank you so much. With that, we come to the end of this weekly quest of You and I with Rashmi Shetty. Do let us know if you know people who make the world beautiful. Write in to rashmi.thethirdi at gmail.com That is R-A-S-H-M-I dot T-H-E-T-H-I-R-D-E-Y-E at gmail.com Come! Let's explore this amazing world together, both you and I.